for this morning. I want you to take your Bibles with me, if you will, and turn to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. We're going to start, I want to read a verse in chapter 9, but our focus will be in chapter 13 this morning. Several weeks ago, when we've taken a couple of weeks break from this and come back to this, um, the seven steps of spiritual success. I remind you of what spiritual success is. It is not what this world views as success. This world has a lot of definitions, a lot of understanding of success. For some, um, if it's a sports team, it's winning the championship. And I don't want to bring up all the painful conversations of the past few weeks over who gets to play for what and who doesn't get to play. Um, and I probably shouldn't have even said that much because some of you are lost for the rest of the service. Your mind is gone to that. Uh, for others, it's in business. Its success is achieving a certain amount of income or achieving something, establishing a business that's financially stable. For others, it's having a family that they love and is gathered around them over the next weeks as we gather for Christmas, having your family with you. What a blessing that is. And many view that as the ultimate success. Others, it's achieving a certain level of education. Others, it's getting that promotion at work. All of those things, many of them are good things. But true spiritual success is doing God's work, God's way, in God's time, by God's power, for God's glory. And I hope that we understand that. Now, that's going to look different in every life. Every individual, that's going to, be, that's going to look somewhat different. There are some things that are common to every believer, and there are some things that are different. God's will for my life is different from your life. But obedience is common to all. Every family, there are certain things that are true. It is true for a Christian family that it's God's plan for there to be a godly marriage that mirrors and reflects the love of Christ and the church. But every family is going to look somewhat different. How that is lived out will be different. Every church is to glorify God by worshiping Him, by loving Him, and by fulfilling the Great Commission. But how we do that will be different from other churches. But to do God's work, God's way, and God's time, by God's power, for God's glory, does not change. You take God out of any element of that and put my in place of that, and you you've have failure. If you say, I'm going to do all these things for, but it's ultimately for my glory, then you've ruined it. It has to be all about Him. As we've looked at Nehemiah, we've seen six steps, and some of you may have thought when we got to finishing the wall, well, that's, that's ultimate, that's success. But there is a step beyond that that we'll see this morning, and it is true in every one of our lives, our families, and in our church, and that is the step of vigilance. There must be vigilance. There's an old saying, but the price of freedom, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. That is certainly true in our world. It's certainly true in our culture and in our country. I was reminded this week and so thankful for the liberties and freedoms that we have. But in Raleigh, I saw a plaque that was the, the 10 uh, First Amendments, the Bill of Rights. And many times we focus on the first two, and sometimes those are really the most important two. Because if you, if you ignore those two, you can ignore the rest. But there's 10 that guarantee our liberties and freedoms. But just because they're on a plaque or they're on a stone doesn't mean if we're not vigilant that they can't be taken away. And so we must be vigilant. I was reminded this week of the memorial of Pearl Harbor and the importance of the lack of vigilance, that we were caught unaware in an attack. And that's certainly a vigilance that's necessary. It's it's nationally important, it's, it's in a social way it's important. But as we'll see in our text this morning, 
And I believe it's God's admonition for all of us this morning that spiritually we must be vigilant. We must be watchful in our lives. As we think about that this morning, before we get into our text, I want us to understand what biblical vigilance is. 1 Peter 5, 8, God is clear to us when he says, be sober. Now, that's not talking just about, now, there's biblical arguments and biblical verses that talk about not being drunk. That's not the kind of sobriety this is talking about. It's talking about being serious about this. It's something to take seriously. It is not something to be negligent about. It is not something to be flippant about. It is something to be sober. Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, we are, it's important for us to remember that Satan is not just some figment of our imagination out there in this world, that he's some cartoon character with red horns and a tail and a red suit, and he's some, some kind of goofish character that is out there. He is our adversary, and he is walking about seeking whom he may devour. He wants nothing more. Satan hates everything that God loves. And he, God loves us, and so Satan hates us, and Satan's desire is to devour whoever he can. Because of that, we are to be sober, and we are to be vigilant. That word that is used there for vigilant means to be watchful, to be alert. It's the same word that's used, if you see how it's used through the New Testament, it's used in the Gospels and in 1 Corinthians to speak about being watchful for Christ's return. We are to be ready, we are to be alert, because at any moment, Jesus Christ could return. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if he came before this service was over? If he came today, would we be watchful? Would we be ready for his return? So it's a matter of being prepared, being ready, watching for that, not walking around with our eyes toward the heavens, but being prepared for that moment. It's also a word that is used throughout the scriptures, both in the Gospels and also in the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, where he talks about watching and being vigilant in prayer. So our vigilance is being ready for Christ's return, but it is being prayerful. It is spending time in prayer. Boy, just coming up in just a few weeks, during the month of January, as we begin 2024, our prayer initiative for that month, Pray 28, four weeks of intensive prayer, there will be ways for every person to be involved. This is not something you can say, well, I can't pray for a whole month. I can't talk to God that much. I know none of y'all would ever say anything like that, but just in case there's somebody that would, maybe the 8 o'clock crowd would say something like that, but not the 10 o'clock crowd. Y'all are the spiritual crowd. Amen? And maybe not. But there's going to be a variety of ways. There'll be a guide for you to pray. You can pray every day. Or you can come together with us on Sunday night for our time of prayer, our house of prayer. There'll be home prayer meetings that you can come to at different times through the month and come and, and come together in a small group and pray. And then we're going to have a, a prayer time on each Saturday praying for that Sunday where you can commit to 30 minutes by yourself or with your family where you can commit to praying for that next day. We want to be watchful and vigilant in prayer. The Bible also speaks about being vigilant and standing fast in the faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, he says, be vigilant, be watchful in the faith. Now, this is not talking about our personal faith. 
and having faith, though that is necessary, that's part of being vigilant. It's talking about in the truth and in the teaching of God's Word. Boy, there's a danger if we're not vigilant. There are people today who are drifting from what the Word of God has to say. I'm grateful for those who preach the Word and have preached and said, Thus saith the Lord. It is grounded, it is rooted in God's Word. I was having a conversation with someone just this week, and we were talking about Dr. Billy Graham. And many times, if you've heard him preach, if you've seen him interviewed, he would be in in secular interview situations. He would be preaching from the pulpit at his crusades, and he would say this phrase, The Bible says... You've heard him say that. The Bible says. Why? Because what he was proclaiming, what he was preaching, was rooted in the Word of God. It was the faith once delivered unto the saints. And so there's a vigilance that has to do with God's Word. You get to the book of Revelation, and he warns the church in Revelation chapter 3, and he says, be watchful, or I will come as a thief. If you are not watchful, if you're not vigilant, there's a warning issued to us about being vigilant. Then also in the book of Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15, there's a reward that is promised for those who are watchful. So that's the kind of watchfulness, that's the kind of vigilance that we're talking about. To summarize, you could say this, God will bless those believers whose readiness for Christ's return is demonstrated by faithfulness in prayer and in steadfastness to the word of God. That's our watchfulness. That's our being prepared. That is our vigilance. And we'll see in this passage this morning what happens and why vigilance is so necessary. I want you to look with me in chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to read one verse. The very end of the chapter. They have finished the wall. They have completed that part of their work. They have had the reading of Scripture, and as the Scriptures have been read, they have heard how their forefathers had broken God's commandments, how there were things that were established by God that they had not listened to. And because of that, that's why the city was broken down. They've just finished rebuilding a wall. Why was this wall broken down? Because our forefathers, our ancestors, did not heed God's law. And many of them are hearing this for the first time, that even some of these things needed to be done. As they hear that, they are convicted, and they are stirred, and a, a work of revival takes place. When there is the preaching of the word, or the reading of the word, proclamation of God's word to convict. And maybe this morning, as you're hearing this message, God will begin to speak to you. And there can be a work of renewal, a work of revival, and it took place in the hearts of God's people. And so they come down to the end of this chapter, and I want you to see what they say in verse 38. Because of this, of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. They renew their covenant with God because they knew that the destruction that had happened to Jerusalem was because their fathers, their forefathers, had broken covenant with God. That was the consequences. And they said, we don't want this to happen to us, so we're going to renew covenant with God, and our leaders are going to seal it. We're agreeing to this as a nation. And then they begin to do something about it. These are not people who come to the altar during a revival and their conviction lasts as long as the last verse of just as I am. 
And before they about get up off the altar, their minds, they're not really going to do anything about it. They actually do something about it. They go out. And in chapter 11, we see some of the things that they do. In chapter 11, they decide who's going to live in Jerusalem and who's going to pioneer the land around that's actually God's possession. This is more than just a pragmatic or practical decision that they're making. This is following through. The land was a part of God's covenant with them. We're going to fulfill this. We're going to inhabit this land. We're going to dwell here, and we're going to be God's people. They're following through on what God has spoken to them about. And then we come to chapter 12. And the priests and the Levites return with another leader by the name of Zerubbabel. And he comes and he leads them and these priests and these Levites come. What is their job? Their job is to lead the people in worship. And so in this chapter, there's a dedication of the wall. And it's a time filled with worship and praise. Everything seems to be going well. The people are following through. After about 12 years, finally, Nehemiah goes back, and the king probably wondered where he was. You'll remember in chapter 2, the king said, how long are you going to need? (laughs) Nehemiah needed about 12 years. And so he goes back, and while he's gone, things begin to happen that are not right. When there's not vigilance, when there's not someone to be there vigilant, things begin to take place. Every Christian, every family, every church must be spiritually vigilant. How how are we vigilant? I want you to see three things that we need to watch out for that are described in this chapter. First of all, in verse 1 through verse 9, we are to watch out for compromising alliances. Compromising alliances. The things that we allow into our lives and into our homes and into our church that will draw us away, that will compromise our love, for God. See what happens in this chapter, in, verse, in chapter 13. Look in verse 1. On that day, they read in the book of Moses, in the presence, in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. God had prohibited. Who are the Moabites and the Ammonites? They were the descendants of Lot by the Illicit relations with his daughters in the book of Genesis. These two nations would become a hindrance. They were a constant threat to draw God's people away, to either attack from without or to attack from within. And let me just say to you, in our life as a church, in your life as an individual or within your home, if Satan cannot destroy you from without, he will attack from within. When Paul left the church at Ephesus, he said there will be attacks from without. And he said there will also be wolves that come from among you. And that is true in our homes. It's true in our lives. And so this Ammonite and the Moabite, they were prohibited from coming into the house of God. But notice something that's taken place. Drop down to verse 4. Before this, Eliashib the priest having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. Now, pause a minute. What do we know about Tobiah? If you remember from the early chapters, we do remember that he was the sidekick of a man by the name of Sanballat. We also know that the Bible says he was Tobiah the what? The Ammonite. It's no coincidence that they've just read the scriptures that say you're not supposed to allow an Ammonite to come into the temple of God. 
And yet, what has taken place? The priest, the high priest, has allied. Here's a man who has signed the covenant. He has said, we're going to make a certain covenant with God. We're going to follow God's law. And he himself is breaking that law. Why? Because he's not only brought, he's not only made an ally with him. Look in verse 5. He had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings. And he lists off all these things. Where is this chamber? It is in the house of God. It is in the temple. And he has brought into the temple the very thing that God has prohibited. Do you think there's a conflict of interest taking place here? Now, Eliashib's an interesting man. Eliashib is listed, if you go back to chapter 3, when it lists all the people who are working on the wall, Eliashib is the first one that is listed. Here's a man that wants to hold on to the things of God with one hand, but he wants to hold on to the world with the other. He is covering his bets. He is making sure that whatever happens, he's okay. And there is a spirit that can slip into our lives, it can slip into our homes, it can slip into our church, that we want to hold on to the things of this world, and we also want to hold on to the things of God. It's what's described in this chapter as he begins to talk about the mixed multitude. The mixed multitude was the people in the, in the wilderness that gave Moses so much trouble. And they wanted to have the things of God. They were unbelievers, and they wanted the blessings of God, but they didn't want the obligations that went along with it. You remember what Jesus said about folks like that? He said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot love God and mammon. For he that tries to serve two masters, Jesus said, he will either love the one and hate the other, or he will hate the one and love the other. You'll either, if you love mammon, you will hate God. And if you truly love God, you will hate mammon. It's as simple as that. You say, Pastor, that seems very dogmatic, very black and white. That's what Jesus said. Jesus is the one who gave that. So take it up with him if you've got a problem with it. Don't look at me. No, that's, that's our issue. And here's a man who wants to serve in the temple. He's willing to work on building the wall, but he also wants to have an alliance with the things of this world. What are we willing to allow to slip into our lives? Are we vigilant about the things we allow in our minds? Are we vigilant about the things we allow in our homes? I know Christian parents that would never allow a person from certain viewpoints to come into their home and sit their children down and entertain them and try to educate them. And yet they will allow them to watch and listen to things that are exactly that. They may not stand up and preach a message, but they are communicating a message through a, much, a very powerful medium of story and song. They allow that person to sit, be there on the television, and they sit there and they soak it in. You know, I remember when I was a kid and younger, uh, the way Christians always evaluated what you watched or didn't watch was by how much profanity was in it. People would say things like, well, that's, that's a pretty good movie. You know, it's, it's got one or two cuss words in it, but it's okay. As if that's the only thing you evaluate a, a, a movie or a television program by. And I've seen people sit and watch things that had no profanity in it, but they had the most ungodly philosophy in it, and they sat and they, un, they uncritically soaked it in. And we would never allow people to come in that held those views and come. And, and that is why there are so many of our younger generation that are being swayed. Some time ago, there was a, a poll that was taken 
of people who had changed their views about certain social issues, about homosexuality and marriage, same-sex marriage and also a whole range of issues. And they said, my view has changed on this. And they said, what changed your view? They said two things. The top two things were friends and entertainment changed my view about it. So don't think it's not a, it's not a powerful influence. Many of us are influenced Many of us can remember things we saw as a child. We can't remember what the preacher preached on last Sunday, but we can remember things that we saw on television when we were kids. And hey, I'm, I'd be the first to admit, there's things stuck in my head. I can quote lines from Andy Griffith when I can't remember a scripture reference. Citizens arrest, citizens arrest. <laughs> and some of y'all will remember the same things. Jingles, little songs get in our head. Those are influenced. I'm not saying those things, all those things are evil. I'm saying we need to be careful and be vigilant about what we allow into our minds, thoughts that we allow. Don't let your mind go places it shouldn't go. There's the old story about the man that goes to the doctor and he says, Doc, I broke my leg in two places. And the doctor says, well, stay out of them places. And I hear Christians say, I'm, I'm giving in to this temptation. Well, stay out of those situations. Don't put yourself in the place to be tempted. Don't invite. Look, temptation is strong enough. Satan is a strong enough adversary. We don't need to spot him 10 points before we start playing. And that's exactly what he's done. He's invited. We need to be careful. We need to watch out for compromising alliances, the things that we ally ourselves with. There's a second thing in this chapter. We can say so much about that. And I trust the Holy Spirit will apply it to our hearts. In verse 10 down through verse 22, we need to be careful of unfulfilled obligations. It is so easy for things that we're supposed to do to catch up with us, to, to sort of build up this time of year especially. It might be around Christmas time, and before you know it, it's Christmas time, and you haven't done all your Christmas shopping and you end up running out and dealing with the crowd on Christmas Eve because you, it, your, your obligation to do something. I'm thankful uh, Lynn does all of our shopping except for I buy her a present at Christmas. And usually um, it's two days before. And a lot of times I find myself getting caught up and just trying to, I, you, we let things build up. Sometimes it's when a guest comes over to your house and you're throwing stuff into the closet and you're sweeping stuff under the rug and you're closing the door. Don't, don't just close that door. I said, let's just block that whole room off. Don't let them go in there. Why? Because things catch up on a student. So this time you get close to the end of the school, the semester, and projects and exams, and it all catches up, and everything that you didn't get done through the whole semester piles up at the end, and boy, it weighs in on us. There were things that God's people were supposed to be doing that Nehemiah finds out they've not been doing. They said they would. We are going to make a covenant with God. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Have you ever found yourself in a service or maybe you've read your Bible and God's spoken to you or you've come in a revival and you've knelt at the altar and you've been convicted about doing something? Around this time of year, a lot of people get convicted about, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to have a Bible reading plan this year. And you start reading and you made it through Genesis and you made it through Exodus and then you hit Numbers. And you hit Leviticus. And you just sort of bog down and you think, well, uh, I'll jump over here and I'll read a little bit from this and I'll jump around and I'll, I'll read a few verses each day. 
And we make a commitment. These people had made a commitment, and now they're not following through. There are unfulfilled obligations. In verse 10 through verse 14, he finds, in verse 10 he says, I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. Those people who were supposed to be leading in worship, the Levites and the priests, they're having to go out and work in the fields. This offering that was to be giving, was, it's not about giving to the church or giving. It's about, it's about enabling the worship of God to go on as they had promised. It's very easy for us, if we're not careful, to actually go through the motions of worship, to give lip service to worship, but not actually worship in our hearts. There are those every Sunday who go to churches around our country, around our area, maybe even here, and we say, I'm going to go to church to worship. And we come in, but we never once participate in the worship. Every element of our service is a function of worship. It's a part of worship. I'm worshiping this morning as I preach the Word of God. In preparation, my act of worship and how well I do it is investing in time and spending time in God's Word and getting the Word of God to proclaim and understanding the text and then faithfully expounding it to you and your worship is in how you receive it. And we worship through music and we worship in so many ways. We pray and we read Scripture. All of those things are acts of worship. And yet you can do those things. You can pay lip service to it without it actually being worship in your heart. God, help us when we come together, that we don't just go through the motions, that we don't just do the things and we say we've accomplished it. We actually worship God from our hearts. And when we sing the songs, you say, preacher, I can't sing. It doesn't matter. The Bible says make a joyful noise. It may not be joyful to those around you, but it's joyful to God. We're to sing praise to Him. I love to hear when the congregation sings together. And I know there's times where it seems like the, the, the decibels get lost. But we sing in praise to God. We participate in worship. They were not following through. They said, we're going to worship God. But they didn't do what they were supposed to do. In verse 15, we see that they were not obedient concerning the Sabbath. In those days, verse 15, I saw in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses as also wine, grapes, and figs and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. Nehemiah sees those who are out in the field and they're gathering a harvest and they're gathering the wheat and they're gathering the grapes and they're bringing these things into Jerusalem and they're selling them on the Sabbath. They are blatantly disobeying God's commands. Look, this is not some obscure formal ritual that's described in the book of Leviticus that they could, be un could understandably not remember or not know about. This is the Sabbath that they're breaking. I mean, if there's one thing everybody knows, it's that the Sabbath day was holy. It's part of the Ten Commandments. And they're doing what? They are blatantly breaking the Ten Commandments. They're blatantly breaking this command from God. Look, this is not about us, what we do on Sunday or don't do on Sunday, or what we don't do on Saturday or do on Saturday. This is about obedience to God's commands. We need to be vigilant about doing them, about obeying. Are we as vigilant about obeying God's commands as we are about obeying the commands of our employer 
as we are about obeying the commands of the government, as we are about following the rules and regulations around us, as we should. The Bible says obey the authorities. They're given by God. But how vigilant are we about obeying God's commands? You see, the very things that they were doing, the very things they were doing are the things their forefathers had done that got them in this place to start with. And they had been willing to confess the sins of their ancestors. But when it came to their own sins, you see, it's easy to confess the sins of others. It's easy to look around and say, I'll tell you what's wrong with this country. It's all the people who disagree with me politically. I'll tell you what's wrong with this country. It's all those people that are involved in promoting sin. The Bible says the time has come when judgment must begin at the house of God. Their problem was not what their ancestors had done. Their problem was is that they were doing exactly the same things they had condemned their ancestors for doing. Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to point at our hearts, to help us be vigilant, to show us the things? You see, we don't like for people to point out the things we're not doing or should be doing or not doing. We don't like to be reminded of those things. And when the Holy Spirit points them out, we're no different. There were things, there were unfulfilled obligations. One final thing can I point out to you in the end of this chapter? Be alert for distracting influences. In the end of this chapter, he says in verse 23, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod of Ammon, and of Moab, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. <laughs> Verse 25 is not a pattern for us in dealing with people that we disagree with. I think it's a great pattern in dealing with our sin in our own heart. Nehemiah says, I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. That's not exactly the best way. That's not, a, that's not a pattern for pastors, and although there have been a few times that I have really felt that verse. Not with y'all, not with y'all. Some of y'all look a little concerned. That's how seriously we ought to take dealing with sin. The problem here is not marriage between different ethnicities. The problem here is that when they could hear God's word and understand it being read, they were convicted. And how were they to know how to keep covenant with God? They had to be able to hear God's word. They had to be able to understand it. And they were raising a generation of children who even if they could hear the scripture and the law being read, could not understand it. And if they could not hear it and understand it, they were not going to obey it. And God says, uh, that's a problem. Because keeping covenant with me has to do with hearing and obeying the word of God. Are we in danger of not being able to understand and hear God's word? Well, we have it in our language. But what a danger it would be for our children, our students are for us to regularly hear and read 
the Word of God. And yet, as my parents used to say to me about me, it goes in one ear, y'all finish it with me, and out the other. There are times, and I'll not, I'll not attack anyone this morning because I've been right where you are. I've read the Bible, I've heard it preached, and many of you will hear it preached this morning, and it will go in one ear and out the other. And I do not limit the power of God, but I do know the parable of the soil. Remember the parable that Jesus told? He was speaking about the gospel, but it's the message of God, it's the word of God. The sower went forth to sow, and he sowed it on some soil, and it was hard. He sowed it on some and it was shallow. And he sowed it on some, and there were thorns that choked it out. And he sowed the seed on good soil, and it brought forth fruit. Anytime the Word of God is proclaimed, anytime the Word of God is read, anytime we hear and receive the Word of God, the problem is not with the sower. The problem is not with the seed. The problem will be with the soil. Is my heart good soil? Do I hear what is being said? And the problem here was not that their children would not hear the word of God read because the Levites and the priests are there to do it for them. They will read God's word. Ezra the scribe will teach God's word. But they couldn't understand what was being said. And God says, I want you to break apart. Be alert for those things that will keep you from hearing my word and hearing what I'm saying to you. What are the influences in your life that will keep you from hearing when God is speaking? There's a time for us to be still and know that He is God. Be vigilant. Each one of these things that are described in chapter 13 are things that are against God's law. The people had sinned either by ignorance or carelessness or rationalizing or by utter disregard for God's commands. And if we're not vigilant, we will slip into the same things. May we let God point out to us, especially during this time of the year, when there are so many things that will distract us from the most important thing. The busyness of this season may keep some of you from reading your Bible every day. You intend to, and you, you intend to spend time with God every day. You intend to focus on Jesus. You've made it a point. I want to celebrate Jesus this year. And before you know it, so many busy things have kept you from it. So many distractions, so many things to watch for. Let us be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. How many of you remember, I remember when I was a kid, Mutual of Omaha's. Wild Kingdom. You remember that show? Was it Perkins? I can't think of his first name. Somebody told me earlier. That's how good my memory is. White-haired guy that would come out. And I remember watching the tiny little gazelles wandering across the savanna, eating the grass, having the time of their life. And the camera would show the herd, and they're all happy and safe and wonderful. And then the camera would cut to the lion walking through the grass just like a cat. Some of y'all have cats at home. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Coming through the grass, walking about, seeking whom it may devour. 
And before you know it, that lion has taken that tiny gazelle or that young gazelle. The ones who are not vigilant, the ones who are not watchful, the ones who are not watching are the ones who fall prey to the predator. Satan as a roaring lion is walking about seeking whom he may devour. Let us be sober. Let us be vigilant. We're going to be spiritually successful. There must be eternal vigilance. Father, I pray this morning the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Father, I pray that you're speaking to moms and dads to be vigilant about the things they allow in the lives of their children, the friends they allow them to hang out with, the things they allow them to listen to and watch, the places they allow them to go. Father, I pray for men who are struggling with temptation, and I pray, Lord, that they will set boundaries around their mind, that they will set boundaries on their eyes, they've set a watch on their eyes, that they will not look on things they should not look on. I pray for moms and for wives and, Lord, for every person in this church, Lord, that you will help us to be vigilant. I pray, Lord, that as a church we will be vigilant. Father, I pray that as individuals we will stay close to the shepherd. Lord, as the great leader Nehemiah came back and watched for the people, Father, I'm thankful that he points to a greater one who cares about his sheep and is watching for us. Thank you that we are under his care. Father, speak to us this morning. Help us to listen to the word, listen to the Holy Spirit and respond. To confess the things that we need to confess, to depart from the things we need to depart, cast them out, laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Father, help